today. Uh, I want to begin with seven. Well, before I do that, can you give me a piece of advice to your father? Something you remember your father telling you? Something your dad told you? Behave. Behave. We all heard that. Behave. We all said. Probably needed to hear that a lot. Don't you think? Okay. Probably. Other things you remember hearing them say? That's right. Really? If you run out of gas, don't stop. Did you ever run out of gas? Okay, it works then. What you sow, you reap. What you, what you sow, you reap. You reap what you sow. Very good. Sure. She will train you just like she wants you. Hold on, hold on. We got it. Steve. She will train you just like she wants you. She will train you just like she wants you. You can talk to Candy after church and see how that works. And then something, Charlie? So it's a good thing to run. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Did you think of anything from our dad? I brought you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> I thought about that. I found this week, uh, this is interesting, seven things you'll never hear your father say. Number seven, I notice all your friends have a bad, a bad attitude. I like that. Number six, well, princess, you're 13. I want you to start dating older guys now. <laughs> Number five, no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. <laughs> Number four, why do you want to get a job? I've got plenty of money for you to get. <laughs> Never heard that one, did you? <laughs> Number three, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. <laughs> Number two, Here's my credit card and the keys to my car. Now go knock yourself out. <laughs> Number one, and this one has got to be true. My favorite, well, looks like I'm lost. I guess I'll have to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> we don't say that, do we? We do not. Today we're going to look at a very familiar story. Uh, and because I knew what Tony was going to say and I knew what the day was, this is the logical place to go. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his, feet, to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods and the pig for eating. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hard hands have bread enough and to spare? But I'm dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off, and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his slaves, Quick, bring on his, out a robe, the best one, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What a great story. Charles Dickens once wrote about this parable saying the prodigal son is the finest short story ever written. It's usually called, as you know, the, the parable of the prodigal son. But today let's call it the parable of the loving father. Jesus uses this story to teach us about the character and the nature of his father, our heavenly father. And it's interesting as I was reading those words, the son is trying to set the parameters because he knows he's messed up so much that I'll come back as your servant, I'll come back as your hired hand, I, I'm not worthy. Well, God thinks more of you than that. Let's pray together. Father, we sometimes set the bar low in our expectations of how you love and forgive. Today, help us to see through your word just what kind of a father you are and how you love us prodigal sons and daughters. Amen. Chapter 15 of Luke answers the question uh, that all of us have wondering what God really thinks about us. You probably remember how the 15th chapter started, verses 1, 2, and 3. All the tax collectors and, and sinners, uh, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2, but we're coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and he, and he eats with them. They were too setting parameters on who God could love. And if we're honest, realize that we are sinners, we should take comfort at the response that Jesus gives to the question of the self-righteous Pharisees. Why is it he loves people like that? So in Luke 15, as it unfolds, Jesus first tells the parable of the, of the lost sheep. Then he tells the parable of a lost coin. And thirdly, he tells us the parable that we look at today. All of these stories are about just how important you and I are to God. So here's a boy, maybe 18... 19, 20, who comes to his dad and says, Dad, I've calculated what you owe me when you die. I can't wait for you to die, so I want the money now. I don't want to wait. Now, I'm trying to think, Taylor, I'm glad Taylor is here today, how I might have responded to such a question. And I'm kind of wondering how our dad died would have responded to this such a question had we dared to pose it. I would say it would not have been printed. I don't see the inheritance being divided and given out. In fact, after such of a question, and Tony had a perfect song for a loving father, but the fathers have their limits? I like to think so. Sadly, I have a song in mind that Tony's not going to sing, but he's going to play. This might have been my response to such a kid.
I have seen that as an option, a nuclear option, if you will, but, but I've seen it. But in this story, this father's different. To our great surprise, the father gives it to him. In their society, the oldest son who stayed home and worked, and we'll talk about him another time, he would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance, so this one would have gotten 33% of everything dad had. Dad gives it to him. We might question his wisdom, but well, the father had some information we don't have. He probably knew some things that we just don't know. He knew that his son would have left anyway at that time in his rebellious life. He knew that there were lessons his son needed to learn on his own. So he gave him his inheritance. That is generosity. That is extreme generosity. He was generous beyond what could reasonably be expected. But our Heavenly Father is that way with us too, isn't he? Has God not been more generous to you than you deserve? He has to me. Just answer this question. If you got what you deserved, would you still be around? No. We all say no. If we got what we deserved, we'd have been zapped a long time ago. But this father does such a wonderful job in his example. And there's one thing he did that we find very difficult. And as we walk down memory lane, if you're a parent, you'll remember. The hardest thing to do with your children is to let them go, isn't it? It's hard. Remember the first day of school? You remember the first day of school? You don't remember. There was a lot of crying in our house. <laughs> and you told me I'd be okay. <laughs> the first day of school, those are really Or then they go to junior high, or then they go to across the street, wherever it is. It's hard. Maybe remember the first night they spent away from home? Remember when they drove for the first time without you and you watched them drive away? Remember when you went, drove them to college and dropped them off and looked in the rearview mirror, cried some more? Some of you remember when you walked your daughter down the aisle and stood by your son and gave your daughter to a man that you knew was not good enough for her. <laughs> Ellen doesn't have a fiance yet and I don't even like him already. <laughs> there are tough times. Gary Ezzo says there are four stages in parenting. He says the first stage is discipline from birth to age five. Is we set rules and draw guidelines and say this is right and this is wrong. This is good and this is bad. If you don't do that in the first five years, you probably won't be able to do it at all. Second is called training, the second stage, ages six to 12. Training time is when you're setting the example. You become a role model. You show them how to dress themselves and tie their shoes and to cut their meat and so on. It's training time when you're actually modeling for them and they're watching you. The third stage is called coaching. Ages 13 to 19 or so, during this phase, the child is actually in the game and you're the coach on the sidelines. You're not playing the game for them any longer. They're playing it for themselves if you let go. You may call time out. You may huddle up. You may send in some plays if you're the coach and they're the players. The last stage, the fourth stage, is called friendship. 
From sometime around 20 to the rest of your life, you just become good friends over the place. You walk together and talk together and remember together and laugh together. And you've turned them loose to be the person that God created them to be. It's a process. But God gives us free will and he lets us go. And that's what this father did with this boy. So the son left his generous father and he set out to be free. Well, you know the story. Didn't turn out well for the boy. He had great plans and learned that money didn't grow on trees and he ran out and lived with the hogs and the Jewish audience gasped when he was, they were told that. But sin will do that to you. Take you places you never want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. I found this story this week about Reynold III. He was an obscure dude in the 14th century. He reigned in an area of Belgium. He had one terrible vice. He loved to eat. And he was extremely obese. There was a revolt, a revolt in the kingdom led by Reynold's younger brother. And the younger brother captured Reynold and he had a prison cell built around him. It had no bars on the windows. In fact, it didn't even have a door. Reynold was too large to fit in the door that was built to the windows that were there. And the younger brother told Reynold when he went on a diet and lost enough weight to walk out the door, he'd be restored to his wealth and would receive his crown back. But every day, the younger brother had sumptuous meals delivered to Reynold. And Reynold continued to eat. And history records that Reynold died in the prison cell, a prisoner not of lock and key, but a prisoner of his own appetite. And that's what sin does. We become slaves to it. And that's what happened to this prodigal boy. Through the years, we've all known prodigals, haven't we, or we've been them. They're teenagers. But they're adults, too. People that once maybe had a loving relationship with God and then got restless and reckless and drifted, walked away, and ended up in a mess. Some of them are still there. Others have come back home to their father. But that's the good news in the story because you can't come back. We began with things you'll never hear your father say. One thing you'll never hear your heavenly father say is, if you walk away from me, you can never come back. Instead, he gives us free will, allows us to walk and learn, and he doesn't stop us. But he always welcomes us home. In fact, he'll meet us more than halfway. So the boy goes home and he wonders what kind of reception that he would have. And the picture is beautiful of dad looking for him and running after him and hugging him and throwing a party. I wonder how I might have reacted or how I've seen reactions over time like this. Some fathers would say, well, here you are, look at you. I told you so. You smell awful and you're broke. You wasted all my money. You're an embarrassment to the family. That could happen. 
Father could have gone on to use the biggest line of all. Do you have any idea what you did to your mother? Yeah, that was huge. It's a great line. It always is. But the father that Jesus was talking about while the son was far away ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And they had a party. Over the years, I've seen so many prodigals come home. One friend in particular told me, David, I've had enough liquor in my life to sink a battleship. He's a great prayer warrior today. Another friend of mine grew up in a preacher's house. Didn't take. And he was a bad husband and a bad father and his world was falling apart. He's a deacon now and a great husband and a great father and very active in his church. My friend Bay was proud for 99 years until he became a Christian. And God welcomed him. My friend Belle, when she came to church, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but when she came to church, everybody looked at each other like, what is she doing here? Because she had a reputation. It was not good. But God welcomed her home with open arms. In The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy was right about one thing. There is no place like home. Especially if it's God. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation that, let me read you the words that we'll sing. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, waiting for you and for me. I saw the word portal so long, I really didn't know exactly what it meant. So I had to look it up, and every definition you can find about some web presence, it's a technology word now. But one of the definitions is a grand entrance. And you know the picture I have now of this is God, Jesus, our Heavenly Father, standing on the balcony of heaven, if you will, looking out for us. Waiting for you, watching for you and for me. And no matter how prodigal we have been, we hear those words, come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling a old sinner, that's me, come home. Happy Father's Day. He's crazy about you. Let's pray for you.